I don't feel like that introduction really set this topic up. Yeah, I feel like it needs one more sentence. Dangerous Greenhouse in New York City. I'm your host, Shane. And I'm your host, Yishin. And welcome to episode 194 of Total Party Thrill, a podcast for game masters and players where we discuss our campaigns in order to inspire yours. In this episode, we're talking about preparing new plot threads with just a little bit of planning. But first, the rogue traders erase the evidence in the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign. And later, the human cannonball leaps before looking in the character creation forge. So some of you already know this, but we've got a new discord server up and running uh some of you know because you're in it and talking to us actually literally right now while we're recording and that is why we are not responding exactly (laughs) otherwise we'd be responding all the time indeed well sort of Mm -hmm. only during meetings yeah (laughs) basically at work (laughs) uh so there is a link in the show notes um is there an easy way to get there other than like the link in the show notes Uh, link in the show notes or there's a link on twitter it's not an easy url no, it really never is. No. No. Uh, we're doing fun stuff in there, I think. I hope. I don't know. Come on in. Get in on the ground floor because your investment is going to recoup yeah, lots of times. Hang out with other listeners. Get uh, There's a lot of advice and discussion of games and stuff going on. So it's a, it's a fun and friendly place um, to kind of talk about role-playing games. Also, you can give us advice about how to run a Discord server. Yeah, like you can be <laughs> there's like, also hey, a lot of that. Yeah, how, how about a new channel? Uh, there's there's some custom emoji, there's some uh, GIFs. Uh, you, should, uh, you should help with that before all those slots are full because we are not paying for any right. of it. <laughs> Speaking of not really knowing what we're doing, Shane, where are we in the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign? So the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign is our Warhammer 40k Rogue Trader game played using Dark Heresy 2nd Edition rules by Fantasy Flight Games. And on the Death World Iblis Prime in the frontier city of Meridian, the Rogue Traders have set out to establish a colony in the name of the Holy Throne of Terra and Prophet. And uh, how much profit have we seen so far? None so far. Yeah. But I think negative, really. Uh, yeah. Because we've been arrested. You've Well, <laughs> now. <laughs> yeah. So high above the planet on the orbital defense station known as the Watchtower, uh, the rogue traders have set about undermining their competition uh, for trade partners with the visiting Kroot fleet. And now you stand accused of attempted assassination. Which... Okay, this was a very strange situation for me and for us to be in because normally when we are accused of a crime, we have absolutely committed that crime. Mm -hmm. Um, And we're trying to wriggle our way out of it. However, this time... Okay, well, we're not innocent, right? (laughs) You you definitely (laughs) attempted assassination. You just didn't intend to attempt an assassination. Yeah, exactly. There was it. It wasn't actually an assassination. It it would have been like manslaughter at the worst. Well, it was manslaughter. Okay, (laughs) we we. I forgot someone died. I forgot they were a person. Um, We were attempting to uh, find our way into the the watchtower under false pretenses. Hack the cogitator. Uh, download some data and then erase people's memories and uh, erase our digital tracks and then leave with everyone none the wiser. Right, you were attempting to commit espionage. Yeah, 
Yeah, yeah. Right. Uh, against the Secretary of Trade Relations um, for bargaining power with the visiting crew fleet. And instead, there was some psychic phenomenon, big explosion, the secretary of the secretary dies. There's an official inquiry. You guys are, you know, detained, all that stuff. Yeah, which actually made like plausible deniability a little bit easier because we could kind of sort of lie with a straight face and be like, none of this was our intention. (laughs) Yeah. We did not come in here (laughs) with a plan to assassinate anyone. So you're mostly indignant about this. (laughs) As you do. And the lead investigator levels with Silva Lionheart, uh, your rogue trader, and says, look, you know, we know you attempted to assassinate the secretary. Your bomb malfunctioned and you're trying to cover it up. We also know that your so-called stool is meant to muddle people's minds because you clearly tried to mind-wipe the secretary, uh, sorry, the secretary of trade relations, uh, after the explosion. And look, we recognize who you are. We don't want this to be a larger incident than it needs to be. After all, it was only one little S secretary, not even the real appointed official secretary who died. So... We're just going to release you back to your ship, and you are not to return here to the Watchtower. Cue 10-minute, slightly chuckly tirade about how our stool has never muddled anybody's minds. In fact, there's nothing wrong with our stool. Our stool is is lovely and benign. Uh-huh. Don't you dare denigrate our stool. Yeah, so Lil Magnus is going to stay in evidence lockup, though. <laughs> yes. <laughs> to which Silva tried to protest, realized that was a bad idea, and decided to just get kicked off the, the watchtower instead yeah because weirdly we have a plan yeah so you return to the his enduring light and wait for the night cycle on the watchtower uh whereby having not learned your lesson at all flair uses more psychic magic uh to open a gate to infinity and teleport silva into the evidence lockup directly yeah you know you fight warpy bullshit with warpy bullshit mm-hmm so she gets in there and recovers Lil Magnus and the stolen cogitator data uh, that he's got stored inside him and returns with some bad news. Yeah, well, <laughs> Lil Magnus is just really thankful for the rescue. Right? He's like, you know, everything went sideways and then I got put in this stupid cell and they're just, I was just getting so bored talking to the guard. Yeah. We told Lil Magnus not to talk to anybody. Yeah, but he forgets. Uh, he's, he was locked up there for like eight hours with nothing to do. Didn't we also learn that he's like 10,000 years old? Yeah. He, uh, does, he doesn't deal with solitary very well. Great. Okay, now we have to go kill the guard. Right? <laughs> and we'll see what happens next, <laughs> next week. So this week, we are talking about sowing plot seeds. So we've talked about this several times before. The fact that the campaigns that you are running or playing in are not actually novels. Um, You're not in a situation where you've got one person creating your entire plot. And man, that is a good thing because that is really difficult and complicated. And I would never want to have to come up with every single thing that happens in the game. Mm -hmm. Uh, Also, at the same time, they shouldn't really be planned out completely ahead of time, right? Like, okay, you have an idea of where this is going to go, what's going to happen in it. Uh, maybe even how it might, how it might end um, or stops along the way. That's totally fine. But you definitely don't need it all plotted out. Like, you are not writing it out and then somehow railroading your party into um, playing out the script that you have pre-written. 
Right. So what does that mean? Well, it means that along the way in your game, there's plenty of opportunity to introduce additional plot elements, whether that is new characters, um, character motivations, or callbacks to like funny or interesting things that people had forgotten previously throughout your entire campaign. For most GMs, you are going to need these additional elements, uh, whether that is um, preferred to you by your players or uh, just grabbed from somewhere else along the way. Because a lot of times you're like, oh, we are playing in three hours and uh, I kind of sort of know what's happening right now, but I really need additional information to to throw into this. Yeah, or um, you get halfway through your session and your players have gone in an unexpected direction and now you're scrambling for something. Yeah, and they're like, um, that doesn't make any sense, or okay, but certainly there has to be something else here, and you're going, yes. Right. I went to the bathroom, I'll be right back. Hold on, one second. Because the bathroom is where I keep plot hooks. It's under the sink. So what are some methods that we can use to sow these plot hooks, sow these plot seeds? So to prevent yourself from getting into this situation, one of the best things that you can do while you are running the game or even as a player while you're uh, playing out different sessions is to, ahead of time, scatter plot seeds pretty much everywhere you possibly can so that later on you can go back and pick them up or see which ones have uh, really stuck in your players' minds or, or which ones have slowly begun to spin out uh, into their own like real threads rather than just simple hooks um, without really having to do a ton of work ahead of time on your own. So what do we mean by plot seeds, though? So I think when, when for example, we talk about when you're creating a backstory as, uh, for your character, right? When you're a player, uh, you want to include potential plot hooks for your GM or for other players. Things that are unresolved or things that are interesting that you might be able to tie to other people or that the GM might be able to pull into the overarching narrative. But all of these are just seeds, right? Like they don't necessarily go anywhere. You don't necessarily know that like a person you put in your backstory is going to be like the final end boss of the game. They might be. Um, And I think one sort of like trap that some GMs fall into is they say, ah, I will choose this uh, person in a backstory at the very beginning of the campaign and say that they are in fact uh, the final end boss. and But now you, you've sort of got this thread that's running through the entire thing and you can't stray too far away from it. What can work better is take a look at these hooks that are presented to you, whether you're a player or a GM, as seeds that can potentially grow as the story is continuing. And then later you can see which ones, you know, withered on the vine and which ones like actually had some staying power that people were really interested in. And then you can sort of like harvest those later and use them as you need. Yeah, so these are going to be things like, like you said, right, like characters from your backstory, or these are little details that you have added into your description. You know, if there's a um, an emblem that's on, a, you know, like a, a magic item that they find, or a tapestry that's hanging in the throne room, or the just the name of the tavern where they all meet at, you know, any of these little details can blossom into some type of plot that kind of, you know, as the player's brush into it they try to figure out well what does that mean right or why is that important or why is that detail here um all of those can seed greater plots even if they otherwise seem innocuous right so this is sort of the first method for doing this is 
scatter these hooks as as widely and as like thoroughly as you can so that there are tons of opportunities for your players to latch onto them. So like in a collaborative game, you're, there's no real way to know what it is that your players are going to be interested in. And for players, it can it can also be like tough to know that you want to zero in on a particular element, either in your backstory or something that has been presented early on in the game. Um, and it's actually really frustrating when you have decided on something, but it turns out it's not really playing a prominent role in the story. And, and then you're in this situation where you kind of either have to like go above the table and tell the GM like, hey, can you like include more of this in the game? Like orcs, I, I'm a ranger and it kind of sucks that I'm a ranger, but you know, I hate orcs and that's in my backstory. And can we hammer that in? Yeah. Um, or you're sort of, sort of sitting there going like, I had this plot hook and I thought I was going to be really interested in it, but it's not showing up. And so... I could abandon it and kind of lose that bit of characterization or or I can redefine it. But if you had left it sort of undefined or vaguely defined in the first place, then there would have been an opportunity to pick up something that was already featuring prominently. Maybe we're giants, for example. So I think this is something that we often kind of give as advice, especially to newer GMs, um, which is the idea that if you just make things interesting around the players, they will decide what they're interested in and you make those important after the fact right so whatever it is that they latch on to becomes the highlight so an example of that then is like you know you start in the initial town right you have some reason that the pcs have come together and around them in that town are a handful of npcs right there's a blacksmith and a barkeep and there's a you know some farmers out on the fringes and maybe a mayor who um you know, has a secret relationship with a, um, you know, a cobbler or something like that, right? And you, you've you made this an interesting town and it kind of lives on its own and the players are just passing through. Um, but then when the PCs start to interact with them, uh, maybe like they really like the characterization of that farmer out on the outskirts, right? And so they want to get more into what's going on with that farmer and what are his problems and what is he interested in and what's going on with those orcs that are harassing his herds, Um and that ends up spinning out into a plot thread, right? However, you know, that plot seed where there's this secret relationship between the mayor and the cobbler, um, they aren't really picking that up. They're not interested in that. And so it just kind of dies on the vine, right? That's okay. Like maybe something cool could have come out of that, but the players weren't interested in it. So it just becomes a background detail. Yeah, you get into the situation where uh, it's sort of like in a video game, um, every person that you meet for the most, no, every person that you meet, right, either has like one line that they should repeat over and over again, uh, which means that like they're not important and you don't, you don't ever need to talk to them again. Right. <laughs> uh, or they have like, you know, some sort of like conversation option. And that means that there's a quest he involved here somewhere. Right. right. But then you end up in this weird situation where it's like this entire tiny village is like rife with with subterfuge and like everyone has like a secret relationship or um, like there's there's some sort of like hidden cult that everyone is a part of. Like, but in like a real village, there are going to be secrets and like there are going to be things going on, but like not everyone is involved in some like bigger, grander scheme. Right. And like, it's totally cool. If you want a bit of verisimilitude, like you just present a town and like there has to be a mayor and there has to be a farmer and there has to be a blacksmith and all of that. All those people exist. And you don't need to decide ahead of time who gets like one line of dialogue and who actually is involved in something more. Like just let those players like present the different quest options uh, and let those players decide which ones are actually important to them or interesting to them. 
And like, if they don't kill all the rats in the cellar, like the world doesn't end, you know, like maybe there's just some rats and like that farmer like sucks, sucks for him, I guess. But like, he'll find someone else to kill those rats. Yeah. I mean, the, the other flip side there is when they declare through their interest, right? Like who is the important NPC in this town? You put the plot in their hands, right? So if, if they were, if your adventure is for them to go to the caves and deal with the rat problem there, um, the person who asked them to do that should be the person who is important to them, right? It doesn't have to be the mayor and it doesn't have to be the farmer and it doesn't have to be the barkeep. It, it could be any of them. And now that thread is important because they have decided it was important because the NPC who gave it to them is important. Right. Like sometimes the mayor is just a, a mayor. Right. You know, <laughs> and the important part here is that you are you are cultivating this you're making it easier to be the gm because you haven't planned all this out ahead of time you simply presented the party with different options for people or for quests or for just things in the world to potentially be interested in and then they have decided what they're interested in and now these are the things that you further develop you didn't have to develop everything right off the bat i think this has this has happened before when I think you get it a lot when you're sort of like developing things randomly. Like, you know, lots of different games have random loot tables, so you're rolling it. But the party doesn't necessarily know that the loot is going to be random. So you can you can use that. Sometimes they'll look at a thing and be like, uh, why is this like random art object here in the pack of this bandit? You know, like this art object is from like a thousand miles away. That's very confusing. Or Or like they happen to have a particular like stylized weapon that we don't see a lot of. Um, every once in a while, like someone in the group gets it into their head that like, this is an important point. And it's kind of more interesting if it actually is an important point. So mm-hmm. like you can just have it be that, uh, like, um, in morning glory, I didn't initially decide like early on that, um, shard bound fiends were necessarily going to be a thing. You know, it hadn't even really necessarily occurred to me, but once the party was sort of confronted with like art objects and uh, demons and devils, and they were interested in both of those things, it seemed like pretty natural to put them together. And like, how do you put them together? Well, you, you stick the fiend inside them. Great. You know, I definitely hadn't decided that at like level two, but I'd presented like small tidbits of information that they then had the opportunity to latch onto, even though I wasn't necessarily like shoving it in their faces being like, tell me if you think this is important. Yeah, and so the flip side there is players, right? The way to help your GM is to find those things that you think are cool and interesting and highlight them that they're important to you, right? Like when you find that strange scimitar, which is not from around here, you know, inquire about its provenance, like wonder about why it, what it was doing here and who in the world could tell me more about this strange sword that we found. Yeah, and you're going to have more fun in the game because you'll be able to take those plot hooks that like inadvertently show up in the game and add them to your character, which is going to make you one more central to the story and give you a bit more agency in determining where it goes, but also it'll just tie you more closely to the narrative. Like you'll be involved in more things, um you'll feel more relevant. Uh also like it's just it's just cool character building. Like in 5e I had um an elf uh, archer named Locke who um, Angela was running the game and we had this uh, battle where we were 
like possessed, I guess, by like the ghosts of dwarves uh, to like fight for the dwarves against like a fire giant who is holding them captive, right? So it wasn't like an evil possession. It was just like, you know, come, please help free our people or whatever, right? And after that was over, I was like, I mean, I think Locke kind of maybe thought that was cool. Like he had this close emotional connection with like a dead dwarf and he had always thought of himself as like tougher than a normal elf anyway. So he kind of like identified with that dwarf. So like from then on, it just sort of became part of his personality that like he really didn't like fire giants. Uh, and like he had an affinity for dwarves that was really odd for an elf, but like got to play out in a couple ways. So another way that uh, you can sow these uh, plot seeds is you can like gather them from the backstories of the players in your game. So when you create your backstory, it's super helpful then as a player to leave them open-ended enough so that there's different avenues for them to play out going forward. This can mean leaving blanks in your backstory for the the DM or GM to fill in for you or to leave intentional mystery in your backstory for the the GM to answer over the course of the campaign. Yeah, I think like when I was younger, I always like felt this need to write like eight page backstories that like laid out every single thing that had happened to someone before and like named nine different NPCs and like all their family members. And it was all like very specific and almost exclusively GMs that I had were like, that's really great. Like, I'm yeah. glad I understand your character, but like, I'm not doing anything with right. this. <laughs> I'm not even reading this whole thing. Right. Like what, but cause what could they do with it? Right. Like they ha- you have to take all nine pages as a whole. Cause it's like a cohesive narrative. It, it, you can't pick it apart to use. Right. Yeah, as as opposed to like my current character in Eberron, which is a druid who's a green singer who works for a specific fae in the, uh, it's not the Feywild. Um, Thalanis. In Thalanis. And his backstory is he guards a grove within a manifest zone of Thalanis. <laughs> and he is familiar with this fae who has something on him that has forced him to serve him. Haven't declared what that is. Probably never will. <laughs> I mean, and if you do, then it'll be cool because it'll be useful and relevant to the plot. Right. Right. Because it'll only be defined if it's relevant to the plot. Right. <laughs> Schrodinger's backstory. It's great. Um, like uh, Steph left Emery's backstory quite undefined in the original Morning Glory campaign. Right. She's like, uh, my family was killed by devils. Um, that's why I hate devils. And. I was able to use that to come back later and be like, actually, turns out uh, there was mystery and your family was consorting with those devils and they sold your soul before you were born. Sweet. P.S. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, if, if like everything had been completely defined and, and there had been um, like a, a giant story already built around that, then I wouldn't have really been able to do anything with it. I mean, we had the same thing happen in Morning Glory with... Um, Kallik, who had lost his family on the day of mourning because mm-hmm. he was Syrian. Um, and then, like, you were able to bring them back over the course of the events because, you and know, they, they, and were... they killed him again. Well, right. Yeah. <laughs> well, I killed them again. Yeah. <laughs> if, if you would believe Jim. Um, and Bran's backstory was a bit like this, too. Like, it was more, it was much more defined 
right? Like we had worked out uh, even like a, a timeline with named NPCs and things like that, but there was still so much that was undefined or nebulous or unknown or a mystery. That well, they we... were your NPCs. <laughs> <laughs> That's how we started off, yes. <laughs> and we see that in um, Rogue Trader right now, actually, like uh, Flare and Trank, like we randomly rolled that we grew up uh, in the same kind of environment, like on the same kind of planet, which is like what you do in Dark Heresy. And we decided like early on that we were from the same planet and like we knew each other as kids, but we didn't know anything else, right? We didn't, I don't think we knew the name of the planet. We, we didn't know like what we were necessarily doing there, what our relationship was. And like, it has just been useful later as like Shane as the GM has presented like different hooks for the campaign in general for us to be like, oh, actually we're going to, we're gonna take one of those and like just append it to our our backstory. In fact, like yeah, that sounds good. We did that. Yeah, yeah, that, right. And it, like it fits with the narrative because like we didn't fill that in yet. And like okay, now that's set in stone. Great, we did that. Yeah, I, I think this is how Flair became the black sheep of his family. Oh yeah, actually. totally. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like because Angela decided that midway through. <laughs> yeah, I think it might have been like we were um, gearing up and like there's a there's a system in Dark Heresy where uh, you like either roll or like there's a lot more player agency in figuring out what gear you get and he wanted like a four sword and you're like you're not getting a four sword I, like, I it's, think, not, it's not coming no no I think I I think that was like confirming his like element that he was already a black sheep I don't think I made him a black sheep oh because the, of that he wasn't like oh the reason I got a four staff is not a four sword is because I'm a black sheep no no, no. he <laughs> okay. was he I think you guys were already <laughs> trending him towards black sheep um because everything about your ship was cut rate oh right and we there had to be a reason like if he's a noble why why is he on such a terrible why is he on the ship? worst possible assignment right. right and he was like oh well okay let me just fill in this little bubble from that I like didn't define earlier right <laughs> <laughs> nobody likes me um, so then as a GM, right, as you go through the campaign and especially if like the interest of certain characters is kind of waning from the current story or, or where the players are going, you can always bring them right back in by looking in their backstory for elements that haven't been used yet that are thematically appropriate and pulling them into the current plot. Yeah, like I hadn't even considered using uh, elements of Emery's backstory until like level 12 when I was like, I, I think I want to like try to tie her more closely to the narrative of like where the story has gone um, so far. And so, you know, I just sort of like looked through what she had come up with originally and was like, oh, okay, this is definitely something that I can use. But I had not intended to do that earlier. Right. And like, you know, she had not intended to do that either but oh she hadn't intended to be soulless <laughs> well, i mean maybe maybe yeah <laughs> steph let us know uh but yeah if if you're a player like it it's useful to have as many of these in your even very simple backstory as you can because you never know when they're going to be useful so then another way to use plot seeds is the sort of just is planned method where the party has picked some detail or some solution or some approach that um, according to your planning and the sort of like loose sketch of the plot that you have in your mind uh, is going to lead to folly or failure or just something irrelevant or extraneous. 
and instead you pivot <laughs> the plot in front of them hard pivot yeah <laughs> and like it turns out that chasing down you know that whatever uh like chasing down the provenance of that painting that happened to be um in the in the dungeon with the loot wow you nailed it right like there was some secret contained in that painting that you have uncovered that gives you the next clue to go down your path and you should you were absolutely smart to completely ignore the like blinking red button (laughs) that said press me to hear plot (laughs) right right and now if you do press it like nothing will happen because it's a dud because all of you are brilliant right (laughs) like you totally did not need to read the villain's journal. <laughs> <laughs> why, why would they write things down? Right. <laughs> what kind of idiot villain writes their plan down so you can just read it and know what they're going to do? And, and like this makes you seem like craftier as a GM too, right? Like this is exactly what I planned for you to do. Ha 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 ha. Right. Um, yeah, you are like this is always going to happen at some point. And like, you don't, you don't always want to move the plot to put it in front of the PCs, right? Like that, that's just sort of playing on easy mode or it's actually not always fun to have always picked the right path in the maze. But you know, sometimes they made some really amazing knowledge checks and sure there wasn't any knowledge to actually figure from it, but like, why let those go to waste? Let's like come up with something cool here. Right. And now, you know, you spent half the session chasing down what was going to be a red herring. It's actually going to be like, it's going to really fall flat if this totally is a red herring and you have to do this all over again. So like, screw it. That's one of the things that I really like about Fantasy Flight Star Wars or Genesis. Um, And it's, it requires a certain mindset as a GM. But when you have those kind of plot roles that come with skill checks and, and sort of background oriented things... And you end up with very good success or like, you know, the critical success or a bunch of advantages. You then like, because you're ceding some narrative control to the player, the player can be like, cool, so this is the reason, right? Like, I have clearly figured this out and this is the fact. And then as like a GM, you don't want to be like, uh, no, you didn't. (laughs) Like, you actually figured out this other fact that is better. It's like, oh, no, 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 fine. Like, you have narrative control, absolutely. Let me just, like, slide my plot right over in front of what you've declared. Yeah, that was totally right. And that can be tougher with games where, like, that's not built into the system, like, you know, D&D. But, you know, it's nice to sometimes just be like, uh, yeah, that was an amazing knowledge check. Like, tell me about this painting. Right, yeah. What would you like to be true about this painting? Because yeah, it will be. Right. Everything but the value. Right. <laughs> it's also a forgery. <laughs> it splits into three more paintings just like it. Okay, okay hold on, hold on. Um, it's also good if you are trying to use this technique to like encourage your party to plan out loud. Like, Let them have both in-character and above-the-table arguments or disagreements. Um or planning sessions like you know arguing over like what plot threads are making sense to their characters or like what they sh- what they think they should be looking for when you're running an investigation um it's it's so easy to pick up additional plot hooks and threads when you have like one or two people being like no this is absolutely like um the answer to the mystery and like th- this character this uh enemy motivation doesn't make any sense and like you as a gm are like uh, it actually doesn't really yeah, make any it doesn't sense, does work, it? does it? Yeah. Huh. Okay, well, that's, that's well, a really good point. Wait, he just, wait, what did he say? He said, 
oh, the motivation must be this. That's better. I'm going to steal that. That works for me. Yeah. Yeah. This is, they're way better at this than me. Okay. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And at the same time, even if they aren't necessarily like better at it, it is telling you what they think is important and what themes they want to explore, what things they, they find interesting. It can also tell you what things that they do not find interesting or that they're just, they don't really want to talk about and you can shy away from those. Yeah. One of the things that I like in this kind of like planning situation is when the the players talk themselves into like a, a a test you know like okay so if we do this and the answer is this we know it must be true right and if we do it and the answer is this then we know it's false and they're basically just saying hey gm put us in the right direction but we've given you a story reason to do that right and it's great uh you flip the coin into the well and you get the answer you were looking for. Right. That is exactly what happens as I planned at the beginning of this <laughs> right. whole thing. <laughs> the the paths have diverged. You must go right. <laughs> <laughs> so when these things do happen, um, make sure that uh, the party understands that like the harvest is complete. The harvest of the plot seed and the thread is complete. Like, you did the right thing, you're done, you don't need to be looking anymore, right? Like, if they solve that mystery, like if they found the killer of the the paladin's parents after all this time, then great. Let them absolutely know. Like, find a journal or even above the table be like, wow, you've finally done it. Like, you actually know who killed your parents. Yeah, that's a good... How does that make you feel? That's a great coda for the story. Okay, we're packing up. Great work, you guys. You finished the mystery. I'm real (laughs) proud of you. (laughs) Uh, yeah, I mean, like, never never put it past a party to, like, win the treasure and be like, all right, there must be a, a false bottom or, like, this is obviously fake. Like, no, we're, we're not touching it at all. It's definitely a trap. Let's go somewhere else and look for the real treasure. Yeah, like, I know there's the man behind the man behind the throne. <laughs> um, and then if you do find that your players are kind of derailing themselves on these plot hooks, you can always kind of go above the table and be like, look, your character knows this is true and you as a player by the way you know this is true too like you have solved this this is there's no trap here right yeah the pieces fit perfectly and you know you can do it about the table you can have an npc come in like that they actually trust and be like ah perfect finally yeah (laughs) that is definitely the cause of the day of mourning said the solar right (laughs) Step into my zone of truth. <laughs> right. And let, and let me expound upon all the facts you've discovered. Right. And then the planetar's like, he's definitely telling the truth. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, all right. And then sort of the flip side of all of this is you can end up with sort of like an embarrassment of riches because you spent, you know, like a year or two planting all these different plot seeds. Um Yes, some of them are going to die in the vine. Some of them, like, you're you're going to be able to to use and the party's going to be interested in them. But sometimes you, like, dangle one that you thought was really good, that you thought that everyone was really interested in, and they, they just don't take it. They don't bite. So, like, after a while, great, just, just discard it. You don't need it because ideally you've got a ton more of them. Yeah, every once in a while you'll have a player come to the table and be like, you know, I was, like, thinking about this or I was looking through my notes or I was reading the emails and, like, did we ever figure out what happened in Queensport? We didn't, did we? And as a GM, you just have to be like, no, I wouldn't worry about it. Like, <laughs> like we're way past that now. Yeah, right. Like, 
you can. I mean, the tendency is to be like, no, you you didn't figure out what happened out, happened in Queensport. I and mean, then, I wonder what could be happening there. Right, and then you've immediately sent your players right back to Queensport, apropos of nothing going on in their current plot, right? Right, or like you had that idea about what was going to happen, but like that was level four. Right. Like it does not matter anymore. Exactly. <laughs> um, And, you know, sometimes players never come back to them, and that's that's okay. Like you don't need to have every storyline wrapped up with a bow at the end of your campaign it's okay for the uninteresting npcs to just wander off and you know live their plot off camera yeah and you don't want to punish the party for like pursuing other interesting avenues and like not tying every little thing up you know yeah that's that's the problem with that queensport example right is when when you kind of make that insinuation that like oh no you let that go and who knows what effect that could have like all you've done is hint at the idea that they'll be punished for failing to follow up on that plot line um if that's your intent great you've given them a warning but if it's not your intent then you've just derailed your own like main story right and then just move them one step closer toward like that completest video game mentality where like (laughs) what did we miss out on? Well, we at least missed out on XP. Right. And now we won't be strong enough to like face the final battle because we really need to grind some more. I mean, you, you do want to remember again, that like, again, this is not a novel. That also means that a lot of the tropes in fiction writing don't necessarily apply. Like, for example, not everything is like a Chekhov's gun or NPC or badge or dog or whatever. Chekhov's rapier. Yes, exactly. Just because... I pointed out something to you as notable doesn't mean that like it's going to be critical to the plot later. I, as a GM, am pointing out many things to you that are potentially notable, and we'll see which ones you guys like pick up. Right. I mean, because the principle of Chekhov's gun is the idea that you have to manage the economy of details right. in like a confined form of fiction. Because role playing games are naturally more open ended you don't have that restriction, right? Like maybe in a one-shot, if you spend time lingering on a detail, that should be an important detail. Right. But in a broader campaign, you know, it, it really isn't that important if all the halflings in this town wear, you know, blue sashes and they never find out why. Like, it's just a weird detail and we moved on. I mean, unless you're Tolkien and then he's going to explain it later. Well. I mean, it's not important, but it's going to be explained. I mean, I can tell you don't <laughs> read my blog. <laughs> It's because you started vlogging. <laughs> yeah, I can tell you don't read my vlog. <laughs> you don't even check my Insta stories. I used to look at your Tumblr and then, you know. <laughs> well, yeah, well, yeah, I mean, they cleaned up Tumblr. Right, what was the point? So for so a few caveats here. Um, don't bend over backwards to be catering to your players' demands when they want to see a plot hook on their own. Um, the point here is to stay flexible so that you have options later, not to like put more things on your plate as a GM that like, you know, all these checkboxes that you need to like, um, handle before you're allowed to finish the campaign or move on. Yeah. You said player demands, but I think the bigger threat is actually player whims. Um, (laughs) (laughs) That is, that is my current role in the group is <laughs> demanding that we not go chase shiny objects and instead try and finish a main focused plot that we're all invested in, <laughs> to which I constantly am told, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, as a character, I don't even care this much, but as a player at the table, I would like to finish a <laughs> plot. <laughs> we'll see how that goes. 
Um, and then I think another caveat for players is, you know, while we while we don't want to plot out our entire backstory and make my make our characters past more interesting than their future, uh, we also don't want to leave the entire backstory unfinished to to the point where it becomes useless f- as an element of the game, right? If they don't inform the personality and the history of the character in a way that comes to the table, it's not helpful. Um, so put enough detail in there to inspire the GM to pull out or insert more details. Yeah, you also don't want to be accused of like being that person who is like leaving everything in flux so that you can only pin it down when it is like useful or, or yeah, handy. Or, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I have never done that, so I have no uh, idea how you would even do that. There are games where that's doable. Right? Yeah, or, or like, it's even built in, like, right, like um, Blades Black in the Ag- Dark. Yeah, yeah. And Knights Black Agents mm-hmm. has a similar thing where you can kind of build your character, add, its, add your character's skill sets and, like, contacts and things like that as you need them. And once they're declared, they're facts. You can't change them anymore. So to wrap up, the point of all of this is to provide uh, some techniques that make it easier for you as a GM or a player to um, weave more interesting threads together in your campaign. If any of this makes things more complicated or more difficult or like bogs your game down, you should just ignore it. Like, don't do it. You know, um, all of these techniques uh, are supposed to streamline things in the end. Right. All right. Do you hear that, Ishan? Yes, that's the sound of a new backstory being formed as we speak. It's all it's all coming together, which is weird because I'm like 40 years old. Well, let's go find out what it is in the Character Creation Forge. But before we do that, let's talk about how our listeners can get in contact with us. We do love hearing from you. You can tweet at Shane at Mundangerous. That's M-U-N Dangerous. And you can tweet at Ishan at Evil Sense Carne. That's Malice minus Meat. And you can tweet at the show at TPTCast. You can also email us at TotalPartyThrill at gmail.com. And you can find us on the web at www.TotalPartyThrill.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram at Total Party Thrill. Total Party Thrill is also brought to you this week by Genuine Fantasy Press. Genuine Fantasy Press is giving away a free version of their new book, The Compendium of Forgotten Secrets Awakening, at GenuineFantasyPress.com. It's a book for 5th edition D&D, and all of the player content is included in the free version. That is 125 pages of content. Uh, Forgotten secrets. Um, And yet, here they are, Mm -hmm. right in black and white. Just for you to remember, once again. What kind of secrets will you remember, Ishan? Um, I was going to leave it undefined until like I really needed a good secret. Well, I am declaring that you remember 34 new subclasses, <laughs> 17 new warlock patrons and familiars, over 175 new spells and invocations, and 10 new races, along with dozens of campaign hooks. That you could potentially stick into your backstory or your game. Now, if you don't get the free version, you can get 190 pages of new content. The book is designed to work with both classic and homebrew settings and gives you new ideas for your world and game. It is available with beautiful full-color artwork and is even available internationally in hardcover on Amazon. That's the Compendium of Forgotten Secrets Awakening from Genuine Fantasy Press. Inspiring adventure. All right, this week in the Character Creation Forge, we are building the Human Cannonball. So this is inspired by my very first... A D&D character. Who was inspired by the Street Fighter character, Blanca. No, they're like Blanca. I don't know if Blanca was around yet then. Anyway, but they did... I guess later I was like, oh, I kind of I did that uh, when I saw Blanca mm-hmm. because 
I think it was a forest gnome with persistent jump, and he would hurdle himself, like, yeah, he would hurdle himself at enemies um, with his, like, sword extended. Uh, and then when he missed, he would usually, like, bash his head into a tree and um, knock himself unconscious. Great. Which is, like, that's AD&D in middle school. Uh-huh. <laughs> so it's a, uh, it's a character that fires themselves as their weapon. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Great. Sure. Or fires themselves and, you know, maybe they're the weapon. Maybe they have a weapon. Okay. You know, lots of different options. All right. So what's the build? It is Hexblade, Pact of the Blade, Warlock 4, Swashbuckler, Rogue 8, Battlemaster 8. So from Warlock, you're getting level 2 spells. You get medium armor, martial weapons. You get Hexblade's curse. You've got a magic weapon that you're always using. That's cool. Fine. But really, you're here to get two invocations. And the first one is Otherworldly Leap, which lets you cast the jump spell at will, which is an action to cast and uh, triples your jump distance for a minute with no concentration. So in 5e, with a running start, you can jump your strength score in feet horizontally and your strength modifier plus three feet vertically. And you have those distances if you're doing a standing jump. Which means that if you start with a plus two strength race, you can start with a strength of 17 with point by, which gives you a running long jump of 51 feet and a running high jump of 18 feet. That's also a nine foot standing vertical leap. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, it is a jump spell. Uh, however, at the same time, jump distances are limited by your speed. So even at level two, when you have at will jump, you can use your action to dash so that you have a total movement of 60 feet, you run 10 feet, and you can leap the additional 50 feet. Okay. Is that useful? Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> <laughs> well, I see one problem. It takes an action to dash. Yep, so you have you can't do anything once you get there, right? right? <laughs> I have run up into the enemy's face, and now I will get hit in my face. Speaking of, Swashbuckler Rogue. <laughs> so... Eight levels of that will solve your action problem, right? Now you can use your um, cutting action in order to dash as a bonus. Yeah, which means after even only two levels, like Warlock 2, Rogue 2, you're going to be able to like cutting action dash and use your movement to make that 50-foot leap and then your action to make an attack. Also from Rogue, we'll get sneak attack. We'll have the uncanny dodge ability for some extra tankiness. And we get four uses of expertise, uh, which we will, of course, be using on at least athletics and acrobatics in order to make this all plausible. Uh, You do get evasion, which lets you uh, take no damage uh, on a successful deck save, which means if you've got like a wizard or a sorcerer in your party or even like a fiend lock, uh, you can, you know, have a little, I don't even, it's not really a combo, right? But you can be like, hey, hey, fireball me here and then already in action to jump because i'm a human cannonball (laughs) and if i succeed i'll take no damage (laughs) it's like less than a combo (laughs) it's a parlor trick (laughs) this is how we make money when we're not adventuring right uh also important you'll have fancy footwork as a swashbuckler which allows you to uh, leave the threatened area of an enemy without provoking an opportunity attack uh, after you have attacked that enemy, meaning you can stab somebody and then use your 10-foot run and 50-foot leap to escape their grasp without any opportunity attacks. Yeah, or just leap nine feet straight up onto, like, 
a ledge above you. (laughs) (laughs) Onto their shoulder. Yeah, why not? Uh, So from Fighter, you'll get Second Wind, Action Surge, which also helps with your action economy, and Extra Attack. You get three ASIs, which uh, you're going to use on getting your strength to 20, and then at some point, probably earlier rather than later, picking up the Charger feat, which lets you, uh, as a bonus action, make uh, an attack after you have used the dash action, which just gives you another opportunity for uh, making an attack uh, after your move if you haven't like used your cunning action for that. And then you'll also have Battlemaster Maneuvers, which of course you can use for things like evasive footwork, uh, pushing attack, so you can shove on the end of your jump, um, goading attack, which um, prompts enemies to attack you, uh, trip, disarm, menacing attack, those types of things. Yeah, I, I pick things that you think are fun and look cool because like, the whole point of this character is that like you jump good, you know? <laughs> yeah, the whole point of this character is to have fun and look cool because, man, are you going to be jumping a lot. <laughs> so, like, yeah, pick pushing attack because you can leap 50 feet in the air and smash into someone and, like, knock them back 15 feet. The, that's what you should be doing. That's a rather inefficient <laughs> method here. Um, or tripping attack, right? You can do that whole, like, bowling ball maneuver where you, like, knock someone over. Goading is actually useful because uh, it means they have disadvantage on people who aren't you. So goad them when you hit them and then, like, leap 50 feet away. Or, like, grapple them and then leap straight in the air and drop them so they take falling damage. That's actually, yeah, that totally works. 18 feet of falling damage. (laughs) Or, you know, like... Hopefully not all your battles are happening in like empty rooms. Hopefully there are like precipices and like other things. So you can like on the dangling rope bridge, grab someone and then leap across the chasm and drop them on the way. Yeah. If, if, if you're a GM in a game with a human cannonball, throw them a bone, <laughs> give them some ledges, please. So for leveling order, we'll start out warlock two. That gets you at will jump. Uh, we'll take Rogue to 4, because after Rogue 2, you've got cutting actions, so you can actually jump and attack. And Rogue 4 will get you uh, your first ASI. Take Warlock to 4 to get your second ASI. Uh, fighter to 6 to pick up two more ASIs. Rogue to 8, and then Fighter to 8. So, Ishan, who is your human cannonball? My human cannonball uh, grew up in the woods, uh, where... Most people are like uh, climbing through trees and living in um, like, you know, those rope cities that like halflings or elves sometimes have um, high above the ground because there are large uh, natural apex predators who are um, like bound to the ground. Uh, So it's really dangerous to to walk on the ground. So instead you like live in the trees, you jump from branch to branch, uh, you you hop around and, and, you know, most people are like nimble and dexterous and you like follow the path of the branch. And if you need to get around, you like go back to the trunk to get onto a different branch. But she was nimble enough and uh, strong enough to just hop from from arm to arm from spiral to spiral and and soon became so at home high high up in the air it's became the main way that she ever wanted to get around uh once she left the confines of the forest uh you know you can make a decent living uh in a carnival doing that kind of stuff but Mm -hmm. it turns out it's actually super useful as an adventure because so many times there's difficult terrain or wizards who you want to jump over and who just really aren't expecting you to show up directly behind them like after you soar over the uh, front line uh, that they're hiding behind 
Yeah, that's what she does. She jumps over the heads of uh, the defenders uh, who have the sentinel feet and can't stop her. There you go. What about your human cannibal? My human cannibal is a cat burglar, but a cat burglar in a place where cat burgling is um, particularly dangerous. Um, Perhaps a city of towers. Oh, oh, okay. Where it becomes important to be able to, you know, leap massive distances to make your escape, where climbing is particularly risky. I don't know where you'd find a city of towers, though. Yeah, I don't know. Somewhere in Breland, probably. Probably. Yeah. Um, yeah, so my my human cannibal has uh, specialized for dealing with the unique urban environment of the uh, various towers of Sharn, as well as the various catwalks and crossways and all of that type of urban sprawl, if you will. Smart to seed that plot hook so that uh, your GM probably at some point needs to take you to Sharn. Mm-hmm. Uh, where where there's an angry fence or mark or <laughs> uh, underworld boss. And jumping is very useful. Right. <laughs> All right. Before we wrap up, we want to take a moment to thank our Patreon supporters. Yeah, your support is what makes it possible for us to keep doing this show every single week. So if you'd like to learn more, you can check out our rewards at patreon.com slash totalpartythrill. You can also support the show by leaving us a review on iTunes. If you leave us a five-star review, we will read your review on the air. All right, so what do we have planned for next week's episode? We're doing a special grab bag episode of 5th Edition Topics. And in the Character Creation Forge? We're building the Jockey. Well, that's it for episode 194 of Total Party Thrill. I hope we lived up to our name, but either way, I'm Shane. And I'm Ishan. Thanks for listening. Dames and Dragons. iTunes user DM Nick says, I've listened to the Adventure Zone, and this ranks up there with it. Dames and Dragons. Tumblr user Squire Nani says, It's got the same wit, action, originality, and quirky humor that made me fall in love with the Adventure Zone. Dames and Dragons. Reddit user Ferris9k asked, What other D&D podcasts are worth diving into? Not expecting anything as good as the Adventure Zone. Dames and Dragons. Reddit user Cambita responded, Dames and Dragons. Dames and Dragons. A Dungeons and Dragons actual play podcast on Don't Split the Podcast Network. Because Because you're all caught up on the Adventure Zone.